son had a gift with technology. With reliable internet at home through the Internet Essentials Program, the world opened up. He's part of this next generation of young people who feel they can thrive. Through Project Up, Comcast is committing $1 billion to help open doors for the next generation with the connectivity and skills they need to build a future of unlimited possibilities. BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Nyleen K. Marshall was a four-year-old from Alhambra, Montana. She came from a Mormon family and had two siblings. On June 25, 1983, Nyleen and her family attended a ham radio operator's picnic in a field in nearby Clancy. Nyleen went to play with some other children. She was never seen again. I'm Ed Denzel, and this is Unfound. Kids say the darndest things. That was a cliche long before the TV show ever started. Why do adults say that? Because children have no filters. They don't yet understand that there are certain ideas and words and the combinations of such that are just not to be uttered. In addition, there are statements that a five-year-old can make and be laughed at But were a teenager to say the exact same thing, a grounding with no Xbox would be in order. For example, that video from Christmas time 2020 where a child attempts to talk his way out of trouble after writing on himself with a marker. I think the little boy got away with it. If a 15-year-old tried that, probably not so much. But it's not just that. Because children have no preconceptions about how the world works, they once in a while happen upon an obscure connection between ideas and things that adults would never see. Maybe that's why they're so good with Legos. Well, for the disappearance of Nyleen Marshall, she was a child playing with other children at a picnic. Then Nyleen was gone. And we're left to figure out if, despite all the adults being involved, that the best clue came from the mouths of babes. And now a summary of the case. This is brought to you by my friend, Megan Good's website, charlieproject.org. Nyleen Marshall was just four years old, so it's hard to say what her interests were other than to guess that they were probably like most other girls her age. 
However, in those 48 months of her life, Nyleen saw her parents get divorced and her mother marry another man. Fortunately for Nyleen and her brother and sister, the new guy adopted all three as his own, and everything was perfect in the Marshall family. So, on June 25th, 1983, the entire Marshall family attended a ham radio operator's picnic in Clancy, Montana, just one mile away. While the adults did their socializing, the children did theirs, running around in the woods and catching frogs. This included Nyleen. Accounts differ, but somehow Nyleen got separated from the group of kids, despite her playing amongst them. The adults noticed this fairly quickly and mounted a search effort within minutes. This continued for a few days to no avail. Nyleen was never seen again. Law enforcement most importantly followed a lead concerning the description of a man in a jogging suit, who the children said was around them at the time. Police never located this individual. Years later, tragedy would strike again as someone murdered Nyleen's mother in a hotel in Mexico, a case that is also still unsolved. As I stated many times on this program and the live show, we don't cover many child disappearances because in a large majority of these, the parents are the main suspects, and for good reason, meaning there's no one I can trust who can be interviewed for the program. However, this is not the situation with Nyleen's disappearance. So, we must try to answer these three questions in an attempt to figure out what happened. Number one, why are the exact details of how Nyleen went missing in that park still vague almost 40 years later? Number two, can the words of the children be trusted in that they said a man in a jogging suit was playing with Nyleen? And number three, should we take seriously letters sent to Nyleen's family two years later in which the writer says he kidnapped Nyleen? Nyleen's father and siblings are open to all possibilities in regards to her disappearance. The guest for this episode, who is back for a third time, is Heather Grotman, creator and writer at Lost and Found Blogs. Unfound News If you watch the YouTube live show on Wednesday nights, you know that I've announced a new project. I've gotten together with some of the Think Tank members, and we will be going back to reinvestigate disappearances that I covered in older episodes, going back to 2016 and 2017. If this pilot project is successful... I will be opening it up to the entire audience. I'll keep you posted. Next, recently I've had some discussions with a TV producer. Yes, I know it's been a while, but he's shown some interest in some of the disappearances we've covered, especially the interview I did with Steve Pankey way back in October of 2019. As I've said before, these things take a long time to develop if they even happen at all. But if anything transpires, you'll be the first to know. Finally, I'm now at the highest PDGA rating I've ever had for my disc golf career. I'm playing my best disc golf at the age of 50.
believe it. Where you can find Unfound. Unfound supports accounts on Podomatic, iTunes, Spotify, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, Deezer, and YouTube. Speaking of YouTube, on Wednesday nights at 9 p.m. Eastern, please join us for the Unfound live show. All of you can talk with me and I can answer your questions. Contribute to Unfound at patreon.com forward slash unfound podcast. This week, I need to thank Tammy. You can also contribute at PayPal, paypal.me forward slash unfound podcast. The email address, unfoundpodcast at gmail.com. Merchandise, the books at amazon.com in both ebook and print form. Do not forget the reviews. Shirts at unfound-podcast.myshopify.com or you can track down my assistant Heather in the Facebook discussion group. Playing cards at makeplayingcards.com forward slash sell forward slash unfound podcast. The website, theunfoundpodcast.com. And please mention unfound at all true crime websites and forums. Thank you. BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. We got another day of NBA action. And with FanDuel, every night is a watch party. So it's time for your FanDuel crew to make their bets. So, what's the move tonight, gang? You know that new customers who bet $5 get $200 back in bonus bets if you win. Woohoo! We're heating up, fam. Bet all the stars with all your friends and make every moment more only on FanDuel. New customers bet $5, get $200 back in bonus bets if you win. Make every moment more with FanDuel. It goes down in the dim. It go down. It go down in the dim. 21 plus and present in Virginia. First online real money wager only. $10 first deposit required. Bonus issued is non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire seven days after receipt. See full terms at FanDuel.com slash sportsbook. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. I'm so happy to have again on Unfound the creator and writer at the Lost and Found blogs, Heather Grotman. Heather, welcome to Unfound. Hello, Ed. It's always a pleasure to be on your podcast. Well, uh, and I love uh, having you on the program. That's why I was like, man, it's been almost a year since Heather was on uh, when we talked about the disappearance of Christy Nichols. So I thought, yeah, I think about, I think it's about time. It's almost been a year, so it's great to have you again. And uh, I know we have a lot of new listeners since a year ago, so uh, let's just talk a little bit about you first. Uh, I would never, you know, ask you too many personal details, but um, you know, you're writing this blog. How long have you been doing it? What motivated you to start it? Why don't we start there? Well, I believe in May will be the three-year anniversary of my blog, but it started, I've always loved the television show Unsolved Mysteries, 
and there's a large message board about the show on sitcoms online and i was a moderator on there for over 10 years and we would talk about the cases profiled and analyze and i would research to see if there were any updates and i've always enjoyed writing and it just kind of grew from there and when i stepped down as moderator i i thought it would be fun and interesting to kind of do deep dives into some of these cases that mm -hmm. stick in my mind Mm-hmm. And what was the first uh, – I'm going to test you now, if you, see if you remember. Uh, what was the first uh, case, whether murder or disappearance, that you covered on your blog? So you say it's coming up on the three-year anniversary, so I guess 2018. Yeah. Uh, what was the first case that you wrote about? Oh, it was Joan Risch. I will never forget that case. It's burned in my memory because she just went missing in the middle of the day for no reason. There was blood in the kitchen. She was never found. There's just it just doesn't make any sense, and she's never been found. And so it's still unsolved. Yes. yes. Nobody found nothing. No, and wow. I mean it's one of those cases that nowadays they could they could test all the blood. Mm -hmm. I don't believe it was something that sinister. Honestly, I know a lot of people do. I think she was suffering some kind of a hemorrhage. Mm -hmm. There was someone seen looking. Her appearance, you know, brown pants, which I think was dried blood, just kind of wanders. Hmm. That would make sense why it seemed like a normal day until it didn't. Yeah. So you decided that, uh, to the to write that one as your first one back in 2018. I, I guess that was one that, I guess, caught your attention from your unsolved mystery days? You know what? It wasn't profiled on there. But huh. I, I had read it, and it just some of those cases you just never forget. And of course, mm -hmm. as I'm writing, I'm researching more, so I'm learning more about the case, which I want to. Right. Right. Well, maybe if you can remember, and I think this maybe will help anybody who is maybe thinking about starting their own website, their own blog, their own podcast, uh, to hear to hear your insights of how you got started. But what was it about that particular one? I mean, as we know, there's thousands and thousands and thousands. What was it about that one that that motivated you to do cover that one first? Actually, I, I think the biggest reason is they've actually released the police photos of the kitchen. So, I mean, you were literally there at the scene. Mm -hmm. And I had a friend of mine colorize the blood stain because it was a black and white photo. And it just it was just chilling. And so mm -hmm. definitely the pictures of the kitchen and everything they found really made it stick in my memory. Okay. Let's talk a little bit more in general terms about your blog. Um, how often would you say what is your rate of publishing uh, once a month, uh, You know, once every two months? What would you say the average is? Do you even know? And how many hours do you think you put in per week on your blog? Well, initially I used to try to do it once a month, but I never wanted to force myself to have a deadline because then it, I didn't enjoy it. If it was like a job, it was something I wanted to do. Mm -hmm. So probably every couple of months now. And I don't really, sometimes I don't spend a lot of time. On the weekends, I'm either trying to figure out the next case or doing research or that I usually spend like the weekend writing, one weekend writing it and mm -hmm. you know, the rough draft and going over it. I actually enjoy the research as much as I enjoy the writing. Yeah, me too. <laughs> I'm very much like my myself, uh, you know, looking into the yeah. 
what I do, of course, as you know, uh, the assistants help me in a variety of ways, but um, yeah. uh, doing interviews for the program and then also doing the blog that I write at Patreon for my Patreon supporters, uh, very much the same thing. I, I enjoy both. You know, none yeah, of it, because we're we're yeah. learning more about cases that we're interested in as we're researching. That that's true. That's true. We're always learning. That is certainly true. You working on it for almost three years. Me working on Unfound for about four and a half years. We're always learning something new. That is that is uh, certainly true. And other uh, people should know you do have uh, you do this blog, but you have a, a regular day job. Yes. You, yes. So you have to uh, balance all of that. Yeah, and that shows that I have a passion for it because I choose sure. to do it in my free time. Yeah. Sure. Okay. Uh, I have it in my uh, the outline here. I, I wanted to ask you. Do you, you say you like to write? Do you have any professional writing experience? You talked about being a moderator at the Unsolved Mysteries uh, forums, but do you have any professional writing experience? Writing short stories, books, novels, anything like that? Being that you're now, you know, writing this blog. No, not really. I mean, I've enjoyed writing since I was young, and I, I don't really even pay attention on a message board. I would write these detailed write-ups, and then I would forget about them, and people would comment, oh, I always love her pose. And I'm like, really? Uh -huh. <laughs> so maybe it just kind of grew from there, and I would, I would you know, write more in details. And I, I wanted to expand that even further than mm -hmm. just the message board post. Okay. And how many, uh, you've been doing this uh, almost three years, how many off the top of your head, what do you, you know, do you think the number is, how many blogs have you done on your website? Um, how many cases have you covered roughly, do you think, on there? I'm not sure, but I do know that it's well over 20 mm -hmm. articles are on there now. Okay. And, uh, of course, uh, the two that you've been on before on Unfound uh, that you've written about, one was Dale Kerstetter. That was the first one which continues yeah. to be a very unique disappearance, and I know you continue to work on that one after the fact yeah. regarding uh, platinum theft in the United States. And then, of course, last year in 2020, we had uh, the disappearance of Christy Nichols. Uh, you were on that one, uh, on Unfound for that one uh, as well. Okay. So there's a little bit about uh, Heather, about her blog, uh, how often she writes, and I, I think what she's saying here is that if you know if you have the motivation – uh, you can get it done. You know, even if you have a, a daytime job and other responsibilities in your life, if it's a passion for you, uh, you can do it just like she's been doing uh, for over uh, for almost three years. And um, the reason and it's, she please it's actually please I'm sorry, it's actually pretty simple because I designed the website myself. I just type them up in a word document. I copy and paste. I put pictures in. I mean, I've taught myself. It really isn't that complicated if someone wanted to start their own blog. Mm-hmm. Right. Right. But like you said, you gotta have the passion for it. Right? This yeah. isn't a uh a money making uh pursuit. This is something you have a passion no, for. I, I don't yeah, I don't make any money. <laughs> <laughs> okay, yeah. Okay. Just wanted to be clear about that. This is something that yeah. you felt motivated to do. It's obviously very helpful. Uh the listeners should know that you do uh in many of the, the cases that you cover, you do get to talk to people in those families, correct? Yes, yes, and I, I try in almost every case. There are certain circumstances where I don't, like if, if the person was found dead, sometimes the family just doesn't want to go there. Mm -hmm. And But I do try to contact a lot of people, and some mm -hmm. I just don't hear back. I don't even know if it's the right. It's kind of hit and miss with the contact information. Yeah. 
Does that, um, if you, uh, maybe I should ask you this. When you do try to contact family members and they don't respond to you, does that affect whether you decide to cover that case or not? It would in some cases, yes. It depends if I can find enough information online. And I don't just mean like recent articles. I mean like old newspaper articles. If I can find enough information, because with Nyleen, there wasn't really any relatives to contact mm-hmm. that, that I got through to. But there were several articles, so that's why yeah. I decided to go yeah, ahead. There were. Sure, because I remember from Dale's, uh, you've been in contact with his daughter. Is that correct? Yes. Daughter? Yes, we're still in contact. Yeah, yes. and then with Christy, I think you were also in contact with somebody in her family, correct, as well? Sister, maybe? or. Several people. I've talked to her mother many times, mm-hmm. her brother, her cousin. Okay. I've sp- briefly spoke to her daughter after the article was already published. Okay. So those two uh, disappearances that you've appeared on Unfound for, uh, both of those situations, you've been in contact with family members. All right. So great. All right. So now uh, everybody knows a little bit more about Heather Grotman, and I want you to go to her site, lostandfoundblogs.com. Correct? That is the website? Yes. Correct? Okay. So this brings us around, and you've already mentioned the disappearance we'll be talking about today, and that is the disappearance of four-year-old Nyleen Marshall of Clancy, Montana. Um, How did you first hear about her disappearance in 1983? It was an unsolved mystery segment. It definitely stuck in my mind. I remember them interviewing her Mother Nancy, and she just seemed like such a sweet lady. And then, of course, the bizarre happenings later, it wasn't in your typical missing person's case. So it really stuck in my mind. It just stood out. And can you even remember what year that was? I I will admit that I watched Unsolved Mysteries back then with Robert Stack, but uh, I can't remember – I don't remember seeing that one on on the the program. Do you remember what even that year could have been? Um, She went missing in – Believe eighty three, and I believe it wasn't until nineteen ninety one. Okay, that it was on unsolved. Mysteries. All right, so eight years later, and it just kind of stuck with you um, yeah. for some reason. Of course, we know there are missing children all over the United States, and I know that they've covered quite a few on unsolved mysteries back then. But that particular one just caught your attention. Yeah. yeah. Okay. And all right, so you first heard about it in nineteen ninety one. And then all these years later, last year, 2020, is when you finally uh, wrote about it. In your process of deciding to write about uh, any disappearance, including Nyleen's, when do you like end up feeling like, well, it's time? Like in Nyleen's, it's almost 30 years you waited to write about it. How did you decide that, you know what, I think it's time to write about Nyleen? How did that come about? Well, sometimes I'll just have a list and I'll, like, Google her name and see what's out there. Because I said before, I can't add any more than Unsolved Mysteries, and I'm not going to bother writing. Mm-hmm. There, there would be no sense in that. Mm-hmm. So, and there, like I said, there was a decent amount of, of information out there. And so I thought I could I could add a little bit more than the Unsolved Mysteries segment and write a good article about it. Mm-hmm. Uh Regarding Nyleen and maybe you know, and any of the other disappearances uh, that you've written about on your blog, is, is there anything that you're particularly looking for uh, when choosing to cover a particular case? Now, me, the way I do, of course, 
unfound is we are kind of at the mercy of the guests. We cover the disappearances uh, that people when people want to talk to us. You know, we can't make people be yeah. on the program. So when we can get people to talk to us, the guests say, "Yeah, I absolutely want to be on the program." Those are the disappearances that we cover. We don't necessarily pick out particular ones to cover. We just find people who say, absolutely, I'd love to be on your program. Whereas with you, you know, of course, you're contacting uh, family members, but, you know, maybe sometimes that's not possible. But uh, just in general, are you looking for a particular type of disappearance or story when you're looking for your next uh, disappearance to write about? Definitely. I like ones that, you know, have added twists and turns because in addition to giving attention to the cases, I also enjoy the writing and I mm -hmm. like to challenge myself to write, you know, well, okay, this happened that nobody expected. Mm -hmm. And I also like to convey emotion in my writing if, you know, if it's warranted, of course. So it can make people really feel what those people were going through. Right. Okay. And this has some additional twists and it does. terrible things happen. Right, and we're, we're of course going to talk about that. Okay, so at some point with Nyleen, you heard about her disappearance in 1991, you start your blog in 2018, and then at some point, maybe in late 2019 into early 2020, you decide, you know, it's, I think it's time um, to uh, write about Nyleen's disappearance, and that's... Um, you know, how you started doing that. Are you a subscriber to any particular website so you can get articles? For example, I'm a, a subscriber at newspapers.com. Do you use any subscription services uh, to help you in your research in creating your blog? Yeah, I mean, I currently don't have a subscription to that, but I have, I usually do have a current subscription to newspapers.com. And that's the only one because that usually gets me plenty of information. Yeah. And of course, just online, you'll see you know newspaper articles. And I even look at a message board once in a while just to see if a relative is posted and if they have something valuable to say. Mhm. Mm okay. All right. So uh, we've covered your process, how you went about creating the blog, and how you decided to. Uh, how you decided to write about Nyleen's disappearance and why you decided to do that and, and, and when you uh, decided to do that. So let's just um, now get right into it. Uh, some of the details, uh, some of just the general details about her disappearance, and then we will eventually get to some of these um, things that happened after her disappearance, uh, one in particular that's tragic as well. Um, the facts in general, who are the Marshalls, how many children do they have, where are they from, uh, what have you learned about the Marshall family from back in 1983? Uh, by all accounts, they were just a nice young Mormon couple. I will backtrack a little bit, and Nyleen was actually born Nyleen K. Briscoe. Okay. So her birth father was named Bill Briscoe. Bill and Nancy divorced. And from everything I've learned, Bill was not a presence in Eileen's life at all. Mm. So Nancy married Kim Marshall, and he adopted Eileen. So then she became Eileen K. Marshall. Okay, so, so Kim and right, that's how she Kim got her last name. Kim and Nancy were the couple. Okay. Yes, yes. Okay. Kim and Nancy were the couple. They had three children. They had Nathan, Eileen, and Noreen. Mm. And I believe when Eileen went missing, Nathan was six. And Noreen was maybe around two, if I understand correctly. Well, so Nyleen was 
the middle child and it, the the uh, I guess Nyleen of course was from the the father uh the mother and father got divorced How about the youngest child was uh she uh a result of a, a union between the mother and the fo- the ex-husband or the current husband do you know uh, from what I understand I believe Kim would be Noreen's father okay father. okay so Kim yeah. Kim who is a man uh was the father yeah. of the youngest child Yes. Okay. All right. Please continue. And they were from, I believe, Alhambra, Montana. And really not much background, you know, about them. They they seem to have a, you know, a big loving family. Of course, the Mormon family as well. Mm-hmm. And that that day they they just went to a. Kim was a member of the Capital City Radio Club, the Ham Operators Club, and the group just decided to have a picnic. And it was in the Elkhorn Mountains near the Helena National Forest. There's a few differing um, descriptions of the area. Unsolved Mystery said it was a secluded picnic area. Another place called it, you know, a meadow or a clearing where the picnic took place. Okay, so uh, are you under the impression that there are there like pavilions there? Like we know many places where these kind of events take place. There's like a pavilion there's maybe a place, uh, a rudimentary barbecue, you know, set up that people can use if they bring their own charcoal and lighter fluid, et cetera. Uh, was it like that, or was well, do you think it was even more um, bare bones than that? Do you even know, was this an official yeah. park or, or what? I've never been there, but I, I get the impression it's more rustic. Huh. Because they, they described it that it was full of dense forest nestled between rocky cliffs and mine shafts. So maybe that's why they just found found a clearing and decided to. Okay. And sadly, I don't have any idea how many people were at the picnic. See, a lot of this is is just vague. Mm-hmm. Right, and I we're going to get into that. Yeah. Yeah. We, we certainly are going. We're going to make vague a topic later. So, um, and I think that could be a factor certainly in Nyleen's disappearance. Maybe you know, of course, not being solved here in 2021. But so this family decides to go to this uh, get together, and it just happened to be like right near where they lived. Yes, I believe so. Yes. How convenient. Okay. Well, that's convenient. And um, do you even have any ideas if uh, this is the first time that they had, there was some kind of a get together, or was this an annual thing, like some you know hobbyist? I'm do? not sure. I I didn't hear anything about it being a regular thing, mm-hmm. but I'm not sure. Once again. Okay. All right. So I don't. I don't believe. I don't believe the people at the picnic were necessarily a close knit group of people. Mm-hmm. I know people kind of imply that, but you know, mm-hmm. I just think they were, you know, several members that had the same interests, and they all brought their family, so they right. weren't necessarily, you know, family. They could have been around that area, but it could have been maybe everybody all over Montana who showed up. Yes, and, and Nyleen was hanging out with children. I don't even know if Nyleen knew these children. You know, yeah, probably not. Congregate together. Probably not. And uh, and I think that's an important point for everybody to remember regarding this disappearance, that she was not necessarily playing with children who were her friends, you know, who, you know, maybe yes. you know, from the neighborhood or anything. These were would have been children she was meeting for the first time. So, okay, so we have this get-together uh, adults getting together, they bring their children. It, it might have been just like a regional 
type of thing. I, I can't believe there couldn't be too many ham radio operators, enthusiasts just in that area to have a get-together. So I'm thinking it was probably a little yeah. bigger than that, a bigger area. All right, so they all yeah. get together. Uh, every person, I think, in the United States has gone to some event like this. You know, everybody getting together and just hanging out. And um, let's move on to this. So the the adults are doing their thing, and what have the articles said about what the kids were doing while the, the parents were socializing and drinking beers? Uh, they, they said that, and I think it was just a few of them with Nightly. I don't think it was a big group, and said that they were playing near a Maupin Creek, and they were trying to chase frogs. But the the unsolved mystery that I do base to give a little bit of weight to it because mm. I mean the parents were involved. They actually show Nyleen sitting on a rock by herself, and they show like some young kids walking past her. So I don't even know that they were playing together. They were just near each other playing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you, when you see pictures like that, you wonder if they're a little manipulative. You know, yeah. it just happens to be a picture of her sitting by herself. Well, that doesn't mean that she was by herself the whole time, but. That that is uh, interesting. All right, so the the children are there; they're doing their own thing, and but here's where we get to that vagueness that that both of us have already uh, talked about. Um, the details of this disappearance, almost 40 years later, are not clear. Can you maybe explain that? Being that you've been digging up these articles, you've seen the unsolved mysteries. Um, uh, how would you explain that? In your own words. Well, the varying accounts, I mean, like one place even said that no foul play was suspected because it was a group of close-knit, you know, family and friends, which isn't necessarily true. Mm -hmm. One account that I found compelling, and I put it in my article, said that there was a 13-year-old that was supposed to be watching Nyleen, and she had to go leave somewhere for a minute, told Nyleen to stay right there. And then when she got back, Nyleen was gone. Well, to me, this could explain why, if there was someone talking to Nyleen, why she was by herself temporarily. Mm-hmm. So I did decide to include that. But the other articles around the time make no mention of the 13-year movie. Hmm. But they, they do mention that, you know, there were a few, and these children were very young. I mean, they yeah. range from like age four to eight. Yeah. Right. That were around my lean. Right. What would you say, uh, in your opinion, is the accepted version uh, of that? Even though, we, once again, we have a couple stories where this uh, preteen or 13-year-old is mentioned as being watching over Nyleen, and then other, other articles that don't mention this young person at all. What would you say in 2021 is the accepted version? If somebody were to go to NamUs or the Charlie Project, um, what is the accepted version, even though there seem to be contradictions? Yeah, I mean, they, the accepted version would be that Nyleen wandered off. The question is, did someone help her to wander off, or did she just do it on her own? Okay. All right, so she's uh, playing with kids or something. She's not with the adults, obviously. Maybe some... A 12-year-old, 13-year-old was supposed to be watcher, but uh, I guess the understanding is this 12 or 13-year-old would not have been a family member, correct? Correct. All right, so this could have been just some preteen that ended up being there that Nyleen had never met before. We just don't know. 
So um, so she goes away, allegedly comes back, Nyleen's gone. Um, how long did it take uh, for people to realize that she was missing? Minutes, an hour, and what was done? See, I have asked that, and I really don't know, but Unsolved Mysteries did say 4 p.m. was when she was thought to have went missing. Mm-hmm. But I'm not sure when all of this started. I don't believe it was very long. I mean, I, I wouldn't mm-hmm. say minutes, but I, of course, they're going to notice. I mean, someone's going to notice her not being there, but it's really hard to say exactly how long before they started the search. Okay. All right, but searches, once Nyleen, once they figured out maybe they were planning to go home and Nyleen wasn't around, but uh, the searches were done. Did the people, of course, the adults that were there, did they do searches, um, the other children, et cetera? Uh, Amy, do you have any idea, any articles or anything that you could find, even Unsolved Mysteries, they say anything about the kind of searches that were done right at that second? I don't know exactly right then. I do believe Nancy, from what I understand, she was the first person to notice, and of course she was in a panic. Mm-hmm. Uh, they, the only thing they mentioned, I mean, the searches was, I'm sure they got people there quickly, and they said they did search for 10 days, and wow. one place mentioned 2,800 volunteers. Wow. And, yeah, and they had dogs, they had aerial, they had the infrared sensors using heat detection, mm-hmm. and at the time, the weather was, was beautiful that day, but from the accounts, it, it got bad. It got cold. It got rainy, and in fact, they ended up calling the search off July 4th, and there was actually some snow in the mountains, from what I understand. Wow, in July, there was snow in the mountains. Yeah. Okay. And they talked about the rugged terrain and the the Lewis and Clark County coordinator was quoted in a newspaper article as saying, undergrowth in the area was so thick that searchers could have walked past the child and not seen her. That was in an actual article. Yes, yes. Oh. And after 10 days, they called it off, and mainly they said after conferring with medical authorities throughout the nation, a decision was made to wind the search down. Heavy rains and low temperatures have made this youngster's survival virtually impossible. Wow. And we have to remember, you said that July 4th they they shut it down, but that would have been a full 10 days after she went yeah. missing because she went missing on June 25th, correct? Yeah, so that's why a big reason they, they she wouldn't still be alive out there 10 days mm-hmm. later with the temperatures that they yeah. had. Right, so 2,800 people, that has to be one of the largest searches I think that we've covered on Unfound, except for maybe when we covered Flight 370 way back in uh, July or June, July of 2017. Um, But just for regular people, a single person, uh, that has to be one of the largest searches I've ever heard of uh, for Unfound. However, in the process of, um, you know, looking for Nyleen and the police showing up, of course, the children who were also there were talked to. And they said that they had noticed somebody. Why don't we talk a little bit about that? What? Who did they notice? What did they say they saw? They all do seem to agree that they saw a man in a purple jogging suit nearby. And some say that he tried to talk to them. You know, I think one person got scared. 
And I think some of the kids just ignored them. But this one, I think he was six. They did say that this man was talking to Nyleen. And one one child said they saw him kind of step closer. And she supposedly told this little boy, that man wants me to follow the shadow. And I, if you think about it, I'm sure that's a way yeah. for her to follow him in yeah. the woods. Sure. And that, I mean, these kids, just because they didn't know this man, I mean, they probably didn't stop and think, oh, is this a stranger? Does Nylee know him? Mm-hmm. Yeah, they're kids. They just knew. And from what I tell, he was not with the picnic, and no one recognized him. Because there was a sketch made of him, correct? I, I They said there was, but I've honestly never seen it, and I can't imagine that it was probably released at one point. Yeah, I would think so, too. Because, because why would you have a composite if you're not going to release it? Right, because I think I've read that, that that they did do a sketch of this guy, and and in a purple jogging suit, I think even in 1983 terms would stick out. I think all the other adults yeah. would remember that if he was part yes, of their and group. I, I don't know if if any there was really, and of course you don't know what the police are not releasing. Sure. I don't know if I, I was told that Nathan may have even seen this person in the jogging suit. So he would have been Which, the older yeah. brother of Nyleen. Yes, yes, I believe okay. he was six. Yeah. Okay. Purple jogging suit. Once again, though, I think we we have to say that is something. Yeah. You know, it's different than white t-shirt and blue jeans, which you know that yeah. could be anybody. Uh, whereas a a purple jogging suit, I think, would stick out anywhere. But yeah. this is what the children talked about when the police showed up, started questioning them. Maybe a parents uh, questioning them. Uh, someone's talked about this guy with a purple jogging suit. And I'm not sure why, but one of the articles said five days later, two children came forward, and these children did not know each other. They weren't conferring, mm-hmm. and both mentioned the jogging suit. I'm not sure why it took five days unless the parents just didn't want to press the children for this upsetting thing that happened. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, it does seem a little bit compelling that there at least was somebody because – the kids are agreeing on the basics anyway. Maybe not what mm. happened. And... Yeah. But, uh, and the listeners know that I don't have children, so I do not have as much experience with them as probably most of the listeners. But, you know, there's also the fact of, uh, you know, are we sure, you know, that the children are telling the truth? You know, yeah. right? I mean, kids do make things up, and especially if they think that they will be rewarded. For saying something, correct? You know, much more than adults. So, you know, there is that part of it uh, that I think we have to keep in mind. But, um, and and I think that this is why when we talked about earlier about what kind of area was this, was this a regular park where there would be other people showing up to jog, to go fishing, you know, to just enjoy the outdoors, or was this something that really wasn't a park at all, right? Yeah, I don't think it was as friendly as the park. It was pretty um, pretty treacherous, but mm-hmm. if someone did, um, you know, if maybe somebody wanted to explore, I mean, I guess the jogging suit would make sense if somebody mm-hmm. just happened to be out there. Okay. I think what we're sa
uh, you know, I, you, you know, you have your interests and hobbies. I have my interests and hobbies, and one of mine just happens to be disc golf. And I was just at a place today. It's a public park, so I'm there. Other players are there, but there are people walking their dogs. There's people jogging. There are people, um, you know, fishing, you know, etc. You know, people are there for different reasons. And I'm just wondering if this place where this can, this get together was held is also a place where other people show up for different reasons. You know, so maybe Yeah, I always got the impression that anybody was allowed to go there mm-hmm. and they didn't, you know, rent a specific area from what I understand. They right. just found a nice spot, decided to okay. stop there. All right. So and maybe it could be that this guy in the jogging suit uh was really there. But once again, to your knowledge, uh he was never located. Yes, and I, I didn't ever hear of anyone that they even, you know, thought was him. Or mm-hmm. I, maybe if they would have had a, and maybe they just didn't trust the composite sketch when it was children explaining mm-hmm. right. what he looked like. Right. Uh, to your knowledge, uh, did any adults ever talk about seeing a guy in a purple jogging suit, or was it just children? Yeah, there was no newspaper articles that mentioned man the jogging suit and in fact a lot of the articles that happened soon after she went missing they didn't even mention the man in the jogging suit okay. at all okay all right I so this seemed to, to pick that up and, and and talk about that more than anyone else and that was nine years what seven eight years later okay all right so we have this uh mysterious uh, man in a purple jogging suit but it seems like the children only saw him it doesn't seem like the adults did but maybe that might have been the guy's plan. We just don't know. All right, so there's that. So let's go back to the searches. Uh, Let's go over everything that was done in those next roughly 10 days. Uh, Again, uh, dogs, helicopters, etc. Yes, and I I don't really think they found anything. I will say that when Nyleen went missing, she had shorts on and a yellow t-shirt and she was barefoot. So I'm sure, and even even one of the main searchers, Ken Gardner, there was a YouTube video where he said he still goes in there. He's still looking for that yellow. Huh. So it was surprising to me that they didn't, you know, didn't find any trace, yeah. any. I mean, you think yellow would stand out? You'd think. She was, you know. You'd think, right? Um, did the police interview? Uh, the people who were there, in particular, uh, Nyleen's parents, uh, maybe just suspecting, hey, did one of the adults um, do something to Nyleen, one of the ham operator people, or the parents? How how closely did the police look at the parents? I know that they were interviewed. I don't know how intensively, and there was a mention that, you know, it said police did talk to everyone that was at the picnic. So they seem to be pretty thorough mm-hmm. in speaking with everyone. And there seemed to have been suspicion on Kim that was never from the police. It was from the general public, and I never understood that. He was at the picnic. He was never unaccounted for. Mm-hmm. I don't know how he physically could have taken her. Mm-hmm. Or there would be no motive, of course. Do you think this could it be once again? You have a lot of experience uh, reading about disappearances. Could it be because it does seem to be that uh, a lot of stepfathers are involved in their 
children's disappearances? Do you think that's a possibility, even going back to 1983? Yeah, I think just the fact that he was her step-father um, was, you know... Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't even think Nancy's, they looked twice at her, but you mm-hmm. you hear people. And it's never the police. The police had never said that he was a suspect. Mm-hmm. He was never detained, as far as I know, either. But, of course, you're going to talk to them first. Of course. Of course. And, of course, uh, just from a logistics and uh, physical point of view, um, how was it you know, that somebody was able to sneak away? From the the adults there, you know, convince Nileen to get in a car and take off, and people, you know, never all put it together. That you know what? At the same time, this adult who yeah. was at this, you know, and and Nileen went missing, you know, right around the same time. So it doesn't seem they were able to put that all together. At least nothing that's ever been made public. Correct. Correct. Okay. All right. So we have these uh, searches that were done. Twenty eight hundred people, ten days. Dogs, helicopters. Uh, nothing uh, at all. We have this description of this man in a purple jogging suit, something at least publicly it seems to go nowhere. Um, I also see that they use a hypnotist. Why don't you? Who got hypnotized? Did it reveal anything? There was just, I believe, one mention, and it said nine months after she went missing, Dr. John Watkins had hypnotized I believe some of the children that were nearby to try to get more information about the man in the jogging suit, I believe. So there was a composite sketch, and this is very vague, but all it said was he resembled a man wanted for child molesting in another state. And I've never seen that composite sketch. Hmm. So what we're saying is the the hypnotist uh, didn't really make any headway. You know, hypnotizing people were there, yeah. maybe looking for this, you know, trying to probe their memory of a, a guy in a, a jogging suit or, or anything like that. N- none of that worked. Yes, and I think that just kind of goes to the parents' desperation. They were willing mm-hmm. to try sure. anything. Yeah. I can understand that. Uh, you know, a lot of my guests, although we don't talk about it on the program, use psychics. And and everybody who's ever follows this program knows I don't take them seriously, but I know some of my listeners have used them, of course, to you know no help at all. But so we we yeah. get that. But I thought that we needed uh, to talk about that because sometimes hypnotism uh, does help. Uh, but we, we haven't talked about that in a while. I don't think on the program. The feeling that you get looking back at articles at the time, uh, the Unsolved Mysteries, every all the work that you did putting your blog together, in your opinion, what do you think was the most popular theory at the time, that she walked off or that somebody abducted her? Because it, it's, it has to be, I guess, either one or the other. What do you Of those two, what does it seem was the most popular theory at the time? Can you even get a feel for that? I would think most people thought that she was abducted because of the man in the jogging suit sighting and just mm-hmm. the fact that 10 days of intensive searching, they can't come up with anything. And they even mm-hmm. said that search dogs got her scent in the, in the mountains and then it, it stopped abruptly. So that made people think, well, was she grabbed? That's why her scent stopped. Mm-hmm. Okay. I think this is also one of those disappearances, and maybe um, uh, we're doing this interview on March 9th, 2017. 
2021, and this will be coming out on March 12th, might be interesting if we can narrow down uh, this particular area where this all happened. You know, the actual, do you have an address or, you know, a location on the road or near the road uh, where this happened, uh, where they would have parked their cars and everything else? Have you, have you ever looked into that, Heather? I'm not really sure. One reference made it sound like it was off of Warm Springs Creek Road, but that mm. really doesn't mean anything to me. I, it's mm. hard to even pinpoint exactly where the picnic area took place. They just say near mm. Helena National Park. Right. Once again, we have more vagueness in this uh, in the coverage of this disappearance of a little girl. Yeah. We have conflicting stories. They don't give an exact address. Uh, it is, I, you know, I think the disappearances for children at least are covered a little differently these days, but, um, yeah. it doesn't seem like it's very thorough reporting. Yeah. And I think people were just having a nice picnic in the spring and summer and they weren't paying attention to mm. details. So they really can't recount mm -hmm. anything. And of course, young children aren't going to be much help. They could tell fantastic stories and not do it to be mean, just. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Now, after she went missing, uh, there was, I have in my notes here, there was the film uh, Adam, and uh, that I, I think Eileen got, maybe got some attention there, and then she, her face ended up being on a milk carton also, when that was popular back in the 1980s, 1990s. Both those things happened. Yes, and it actually said she, her face was on grocery sacks and billboards. And at the end, I actually just recently watched the Adam movie, and it was very good. But the original airing, at the end of it, they showed 55 missing children, and Nyleen was one of them. Mm -hmm. And I assume they got tipped, but they really didn't amount to anything, obviously. Mm -hmm. Okay. All right, so she goes missing. It sounds it was uh, they did more than enough. To try to figure out if she walked off, how far could a four-year-old in bare feet go uh, by herself? Maybe if she was lured away, then maybe that would, you know, be quite a ways. And maybe, of course, if she was put in a car, but just on her on her own two feet and just wandering away, maybe she thought she was playing hide and seek with somebody, and um, you know, just got lost somewhere. But this is you know, it's a huge search area, but we don't know what direction she went. Um, so all this is done, nothing is found, uh, everybody unfortunately, you know, has to go on, uh, with their lives. Um, so let's move on, uh, to some other things, uh, that ended up happening. Uh, we've already talked about the guy in the jogging suit. Uh, maybe one thing that I should ask you is that, you know, if these kids saw that, and once again, you're just your impression, um, you know, I realize that none of these articles are going to... Um, say this, but once again, your experience covering as many disappearances as you've, as you've had, just a little theorizing here. If, if this is true that this jogging suit guy existed, why did the children and you know not see Eileen actually leave with him? Uh, did they not think it was strange? Uh, you know what what does your instincts tell you, uh, Heather, if this jogging suit well, guy I is is real? I just look at how young the children are, and, and in the reenactment anyway, they would just kind of show the children passing by Nyleen. Mm -hmm. So they could have just glanced and saw this man talking, didn't think anything about it. 
you know. Mm -hmm. Now, an adult, of course, would feel differently had they seen the same situation. Right. Right, and I, I guess uh, we're then left with the idea that, once again, even though these kids were all playing together, it, then, you know, I guess we are to understand that Nyleen maybe might have been by herself. Yes, I mean, at least they they seem like there were children around, mm -hmm. just not, you know, right beside her. And maybe that's why, if the jogging suit man exists, maybe that's why he spoke to Nyleen. Okay. Just to try to engage her a little bit. She's right. sitting by herself, and maybe it was just briefly. Okay. All right. Because I guess maybe some of the listeners might be thinking, well, how could he have lured Lord Nyleen away if she's playing with these other kids? And if she is getting, you know, kind of, you know, taken off in a direction, you know, would these other kids not have seen that? And would they not have remembered that? Would they have not have uh, told somebody, at least, that, you know, at the time? Instead, all they can say is, well, there's this guy in a jogging suit. They don't say that this guy, we saw the guy in the purple jogging suit grab Nyleen's hand and walk her away. Now, and I don't, if this all is true, I don't think he had to grab her hand. And mm -hmm. one little boy said he heard the man say, hey, do you like to play games? Mm -hmm. How about follow the shadows? So, you know, to a four-year-old, all they want to do is have fun and play. Yeah. And that okay. seemed like fun, you know. Okay, and I guess none of the other – if he heard that, I guess this little boy, I guess, did not want to play that game. It was just meant for nine. No, and, and they – yeah, they made it sound like he just overheard it as he was walking by. Okay. All right, so uh, all of this goes on in 1983. Uh, unfortunately, the marshals have to um, you know, move on with their lives. I mean, still trying to do everything that they can do, the searches and everything, but – uh, what is there to do? Then all of a sudden, these calls and letters start happening. When did they start happening? What do they say, uh, et cetera? Let's talk about that now. I believe November of 85, so it was a little over two years later, a man called NCMEC, National Center for Missing and Exploited Children. The police haven't really released a lot of details about what he said. And I believe two months later, he sent a letter to Child Find, a missing children's organization. And in the next six months, I believe he sent, sent Child Find two more letters, and there were a couple of phone calls. Mm. And they did make a reference, and this was on Unsolved Mysteries even, but later in later episodes, it was edited out. They said one clue... Um, the man did say that his parents and nine-year-old sister were all killed in a car accident. Mm. You know, so they didn't know if that could be a possible clue. But they were able to trace the last couple phone calls anyway to a phone booth near Madison, Wisconsin. Oh. But it seemed like after they traced the calls, then they stopped. Okay. And I was also told that Nyleen's parents received letters mailed to their house. And they also had an answering machine message left, and I don't know how long this was after Nyleen went missing, but it was something to the effect of it was a small child saying, I guess my mommy and daddy are dead. Wow. And I know that may not sound legitimate, but the parents mm. really did think it sounded like Nyleen. 
Let me ask you a little bit about the the letters that the parents received. Like you said, the phone calls got traced to Wisconsin, and we have to remember this disappearance took place in Montana. Uh, that is the upper Midwest of uh, the United States, but you know Wisconsin and um, uh, Montana are separated by Minnesota and the Dakotas, so they're really not even that close to each other, first of all. Uh, regarding the letters, were they postmarked from a certain um, post office, a certain town? Do you know? You know, I'm not sure. From my understanding, it was Wisconsin, but I'm not positive on that. I really, I don't know what the letters to the parents said, and mm -hmm. I think it's frustrating that they still haven't released the entire letters. I mean, this many years later, what do they have to lose? Right. Well, and I know and that. Please, please. Oh, uh, John, I can read the excerpts that they released, and this is disjointed because it's just parts of each one. That's fine, and okay, we want to. There's an X-rated part in one of them that I do not want to cover on the. It's not relevant to anything, uh, and, and and actually it might yeah. make us think that it's just a complete put on anyway. But I know that yeah. you have published what you do know about those letters. Why don't you read uh, the contents that you have, have right now, Heather? Okay. It says, I didn't want their person to try to get information from her. All I could tell them was that she was okay. I hope Childfine can get the following back to her family. I picked Kay up on the road in the Elkhorn Park area between Helena and Boulder. She was crying and frightened. And as I held her, she was shaking, and I decided that I would keep her and love her. I took her home with me. I have a nice investment income, and I can work at home, so I care for myself, for her myself all the time. I teach her at home, and she likes to go with me when I travel. Her hair is short and curly now. She has really grown. She is about 45 inches and around 50 pounds. She has all four of her permanent upper and two of her lower incisors at this time. She takes a bath and brushes her teeth every day. She eats well. Her favorite meal is pizza and cherry. She would gladly recount to you trips to San Francisco, New York, Oklahoma City, New Orleans, Nashville, Chicago, Puerto Rico, and Canada. We were even in Britain for a month last year, and she loved it. Nobody questions passports. She is a sweet little girl, and it is because of how much I have grown to love her that I realize how much her family must miss her. But she is adjusted and seems happy. She trusts me and isn't afraid. We play a lot, and she laughs when we clown around. She smiles and acts coy when I tease her. She giggles when we snuggle and hugs me sometimes for no apparent reason. I love her, and I have her. I just can't let her go. And as once again, we don't know the veracity of these letters or not, but it all sounds nice and so uh, PG-rated. But within all of that, there is a section that's, X-rated, correct? Correct. Okay. All right. And he even implies that it's inappropriate in, in his wording, I believe. Okay. And I, I'm not just really – if people want to read the full thing, they can go to your blog. You have the full publication there, right? Yeah. I, I Yes, I did really think about that, but I just wanted to, mm -hmm. to kind of put it out there. And I, I, I did issue a warning before it. Yeah, I, people I, I, to skip over it. I saw that, and uh, I, I appreciate you doing that. Because it's very startling. You're reading it, it's all this good stuff, and then you read this one sentence, it's like, what? And then it goes and back to being uh, PG-rated again. 
And I remember the Unsolved Mystery segment. They didn't show it, so we're like, you know, as hardcore mm. fans are like taping it, and pausing it, and reading it, and they were like, sorry that we did, you know. Yeah. So if they want to read that section, if people feel motivated to read that, they just have to go to Lost and Found blogs, your coverage of Nyleen's disappearance, and they can read that section along with everything uh, that you just read there. So what's interesting to me uh, about that is that it sounds to me the way this person, and it, and if you read the ex-parted rated part, you'll find out that the person writing this is supposed to be a guy, that he makes it sound like she was like walking along the road all by herself. Right? I, I discovered her bef- yeah, between – isn't that not what, yeah. she, what he said? He's got it wrapped up in a nice little package, and he was he was just a good Samaritan that picked her up and right, tried but, to erase her. But in that first part, I, I ran across her between. It makes it sound like he's in his car, and she's just standing there on the side of the road. Yeah, and from what I understand, it would be quite a journey to get to the road. And we're talking mm-hmm. a four-year-old that was tiny for her age with, that was barefoot. Mm-hmm. Okay. So we have this letter, um, and we have this phone calls. Do you know if they believe that the person who sent this letter is the same person who was making these phone calls? Any proof of that one way or the other? I do believe yes, the same. They do believe the same person that made the phone calls wrote the letters. Okay. Okay. And they 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 claim that there was information contained in the letters that only the an abductor would know, but of course they've never told us and have never released that, so we can't really weigh in on our opinion. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, are are you then saying that uh, that what you read there is not the full entire letters? There, there yes, are other... exactly. They they have not they have not released, and even the family members they've never seen the entirety of of the letters. But weren't the letters sent to the family? Yeah, those two. But the ones that were sent to police mm-hmm. and the uh, child find and NCMEC, they've just okay. released portions. All right, so the family got some. Uh, law enforcement got some. Uh, these other organizations got letters as well. Were they all the same or all the same? Uh, are all different? You know, I don't know. I, I'm assuming they were all similar, but mm-hmm. I would assume the ones to the parents were probably a little bit different, saying, you know, trying to reassure them if, if it was anything mm-hmm. like what they released, okay. trying to make them feel better. All right. And these phone calls, uh, when this person would call from these pay phones, do we have any uh, – does the public all these years later have any idea what this person said? No. I don't believe that police have released anything. I mean, they just said, well, he knew some things that, you know, he shouldn't have known if he wasn't. Mm. Okay. But like I said, this many years later, what's it going to hurt to release all of that? Uh, I, I agree with you. Uh, that's usually not a very – it makes sense to us, but it uh, doesn't make yeah. sense to people in law enforcement, not just in Montana but anywhere else. Um, but – I guess what we're saying here is that it, whether you, we believe all of this stuff is true or not, this was perpetrated by one person, the letters yes. and the yes. calls. Okay. Yes. 
and uh, no explanation uh, why this person was in Montana and could have encountered her, then is calling from Wisconsin. But you also said these letters, uh, at least the ones to the family, allegedly were postmarked from Wisconsin. Yes, and that helped give the family hope, good or bad, because there were sightings of Nyleen all over the country. Of course. And, of course, this guy saying he traveled. Oh, okay, well, even the mother says on the segment, well, that makes sense, because mm -hmm. the sightings were all over. Mm-hmm. Interesting. It, it, you know, and, and the way my mind thinks, once again, this is the 80s, it's not the 2000s, but you still would have needed a passport uh, to go to some of these places that he talked about. And you start wondering, yeah. you know, because um, our passports, people may not realize this, you don't own your passport. The federal government owns your passport. And so when you go out of the country, uh, you know, it's tracked. You know, they can see who's going out of the country and, and coming back in. And you just wonder if they could narrow it down. Was there some guy from Wisconsin that went to those places, went to England, went to Puerto Rico? Maybe you don't need another passport. But traveling like that in that time frame, that, you know, you could narrow that down. You know, there might even be records of this all these years later. And another thing, he says he calls her Kay, which is her middle name. If he picked up some random little girl, I mean, how did he know? That was her middle name. I don't know that she could have told him. Maybe she could have, but yeah. Well, maybe it was in the articles. If they were making it up, yeah. You know, making it up. Um, yeah. Just don't know. I wonder how long he's been calling her Kay. Right. That's right. So, but we want to remind everybody: we're not saying this is legitimate. We're, I guess what we're trying to do is we're just doing some theorizing, and I think the listeners know. Uh, even when Anthony is on here from Crime Blogger, nineteen eighty-three. That we do a little more theorizing and, and conjecturing than what I would ever do with a family member um, because of the circumstances and the person who I'm interviewing. So we're not saying that the letters and the calls are real. We're not saying they're not real. Uh, I think there's reasons to believe either. Mm -hmm. And I don't really think we'd even be talking about her case right now if it weren't for those letters because that really huh. made her case stand out. Otherwise, it would be a little girl that probably got lost in the mountains wouldn't as be as publicized is what I'm saying. You think is that right? That that's interesting. Uh let's talk about think, that a little yeah. bit. That's your impression. I, I think I think those letters turn this case completely on its ear, whether it was good or bad. Interesting. I wasn't because, even thinking about then that in black. It gave people hope. Yeah. You know, maybe she's alive and maybe she's being cared for. Maybe she's not, you know, in the mountains and passed away. Mm-hmm. Well, these things happen. I mean, we've covered very uh, a lot of disappearances where people infuse themselves into disappearances, saying they, you know, this, you know, they saw the missing man or woman somewhere, and then of course it turns out to not be true, and people all have all sorts of weird motivations for doing this. And as um, soon as, soon as they pinpoint where these calls are coming from, they stop and they never continue. Mm -hmm. And once again, may, being that we've been talking about this for a little while now, a few minutes, uh, what was the time frame for these calls and these letters, Heather? It was about two and a half years after she went missing, and I believe they continued around eight months. All right, so roughly, let's just say sometime around the start of 1986, but then they ceased by the end of 1986. 
Yes, and this person was clearly following everything closely in the news for him to know that they had traced these calls to this particular payphone. And then if we're to believe it, uh, he got scared and stopped doing any of this. Yeah, and I'm sure they probably had police regularly patrolling that that phone booth after the fact. I'm sure. Okay. All right, so we had this going on, uh, went on for not quite a year, and uh, this person uh, has never been identified, uh, whether this person really did kidnap, abduct uh, Nyleen or not, um, never been identified. Okay, and then we also have to remember that putting this in the timeline, you think it's around 1991 that Unsolved Mysteries covered Nyleen's disappearance, and in their coverage, they did include these calls, letters, etc., and they they showed a few excerpts on the screen. Okay. Let's move on to this. Uh this is also something that you write about in your blog and it regards Richard Richard James Wilson uh from 1991. Uh why don't you talk a little bit about him and how uh he is related to Nyleen's disappearance? Well, he was a Helena resident with a history of mental illness. And he turned himself in in August of 91, said that he had killed Nyleen K. Marshall, as well as another woman. But they were never able to verify his story, and they even took him to the picnic area, and there was a place where he claimed to have buried her remains, and they mm-hmm. dug and, of course, found nothing. And because of his unstable mental history past, they think it was just a false confession. All and right. there was another there was another lead and this is like once again very vague and it mm-hmm. said there was a brief and cryptic mention in an interview with Kim and Nancy Marshall about a possible lead. They were told a picture of a girl closely resembling Nyleen was found with other pictures in a place where a suspect had apparently been. The girl seemed to have been beaten. The NCMEC did not say it was for sure Nyleen. But said of the thousands of children on their list, it looks more like their daughter than anyone else. That was the only mention of that tip anywhere, mm-hmm. which I found kind of interesting. Okay. But this guy that that we just talked about, Richard James Wilson, um, your impression, uh, it, it, was that Mark Carr, the, the, the guy that claimed that he killed John Benet Ramsey, something like that? Yeah, I, I think it was definitely just confession like they said a past of mental illness and maybe he wanted you know some attention yeah so you're inclined to what you personally you're not inclined to believe that he had anything to do with Nyleen's disappearance no not at all okay all right so we have somebody that took credit for it uh once again just like in the john benet ramsey case which of course is still unsolved as to who murdered her um but something uh one positive thing it does seem came from all of this attention that Nyleen got is that you wrote about how three other girls were found because of the attention that Nyleen's disappearance uh, got. Can you explain how that happened? Well, the uh, Jefferson County Undersheriff, Tim Campbell, he stated in a newspaper article that every time Unsolved Mysteries re-aired the case, he got a few new tips. And he said that the tips have led to three other lost children from around the country being reunited. 
And they only go into detail about one. But that was someone that watched the Unsolved Mystery segment and thought that there was someone in her class that was Nyleen. And this was in British Columbia. And they said, I can't remember their their, their fake names, but this girl's father would act very suspicious. He would stand outside the school and peer in the windows. And after watching that segment, they were thought, well, maybe this is Nyleen. So they did do a background check, and they found out that there were fake names. And they found out that the girl was actually someone named Monica Bonilla, and her father was really her father, and he had abducted her from her mother eight years earlier. Wow. So Unsolved Mysteries even shared the reunion, and the mother was so grateful and you know, sad that Nyleen was still missing. Wow. Okay. Uh, that, what are the odds of that happening? I mean, the odds, you know, seem yeah. the probability is very, very, very low. Uh, but that happened, and it was in a different country. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. All right. And that was one of the uh, uh, cases that was solved that was detailed. But you are led to believe that there were two others similar like this that happened the same way. Yeah, he was quoted as saying there were three, and I okay. would love to know the other two. I would too. They just didn't go into detail. Okay. Now, I mentioned very early in our discussion that uh, the disappearance of Nolene was not the only tragedy to strike the Marshall family. Uh, years later, uh, something happened to Nolene's mother. Why don't we talk about that now? Okay, the family had been living in Japan for, I believe, several years with Kim's work. Kim had been transferred to Mexico. So Nancy was over there. She was hoping to find a house to rent so the family could just move right in. And she was staying at the Radisson Carrezo Hotel in Mexico City. She'd had friends there, I believe, the night before she had spent having a good time and everything. But the next morning, they, they couldn't contact her. And this was July 24th, 1995. And there was a horrific sight. She was found hanging from a shower rod. Her hands had been bound behind her back. She was battered. Nearly every bone in her face was broken. And there, I won't go into detail, but there was mm. an indication there was possibly a sexual assault. And her wedding ring her watch and her expensive perfume were taken, but her wallet was left behind, I believe, and the items in the safe were left behind. And she was murdered. That's what you would think, but of course the Mexican police declared it a suicide, and Kim Marshall was livid. He hired a PI, and the authorities then changed the classification to under investigation. And Kim was extremely frustrated and said he was advised by the State Department to not push a murder investigation because they said it would prevent them from releasing Nancy's body for burial. And although he knew his wife was murdered, he didn't press. He refused to let her body rot in a Mexican morgue. So her body was released to the family, and then she was buried in Texas. And I, I, I will say, uh, this is not 100% confirmed, but I was told that while she was in Mexico, I believe she went to, you know, the Mormon, the church, 
the temple. Mm-hmm. And she did have a feeling at one point that she was being followed. I believe she had mm-hmm. mentioned that to a friend. She told somebody that so before I'm, she got murdered. Yes, and I'm not – I can't 100% confirm that, but mm-hmm. that's what I was, was told, that there was a at least one moment where she was a little rattled. Okay. And this happened yeah, I knew, in July. I believe, they cleaned, I believe, believe, I'm sorry, I believe the hotel was cleaned up and everything. I don't even think they did forensics or anything. And I assume that the cases went nowhere. Mm-hmm. Okay. So an American uh, murdered in Mexico, and the Mexican authorities didn't want to do anything about it. They said it was a suicide. Yes. Okay. And so to this day, her murder is unsolved. Okay. Right in a hotel in Mexico City, uh, July of 1995, so over 12 years after her daughter uh, went missing. Yes, and and Nancy was only 42 when she was killed. Okay. All right. uh, Let's move on to this. Uh, There was something uh, that happened in New Orleans. You can uh, give us the, the, the year and the specifics regarding a girl thought she was the daughter of Nyleen. Uh What was this? Maybe you, you should explain well, this, that. This was another, I believe a nurse had watched the Unsolved Mystery segment. And then a 19-year-old came into a New Orleans hospital, and she was about to give birth. And they seemed kind of skittish when they were questioned by the hospital staff. Her and her, and a guy that was with her, they left abruptly. And they said she called herself Helena and said she thought her mother may have been named Nyleen, but remembered very little of her childhood. She said she grew up in another country that had no trace of an accent. So when the nurses had already watched this segment, it rang a bell to them, and they wondered if it could be Nyleen. And the couple was tracked down, and they did agree to a DNA test. And I'm actually told that they had to track down Nyleen's birth father to get DNA from him because Nancy had passed away, and I believe her sample was just too old and mm. it, it wasn't in good condition. So they tracked him down and got a DNA sample. And you never hear anything else about it, so I'm assuming, of course, that it was not Didn't go anywhere. anything connected to Nyleen. What you do you even know uh, when that was, Heather? I, it says 15 years after Nyleen's wow. disappearance. So that would be the 1998, late and, and, and if, Yeah, and then she was four, so this was a 19-year-old woman, and that's how old Nyleen would have been. Okay. All right, so it doesn't seem, uh, at least the impression we have over 20 years later, is that didn't um, go anywhere. Uh, let me ask you this, and... Um, we we've talked a couple times uh, before doing this interview. Um, did you say that when, after you wrote um, the blog regarding Nyleen's disappearance, that somebody contacted you? Did you say that? Yes, actually, a couple of months after I posted my blog, I, I got an email through my blog, and someone inquiring was kind of curious about Heather versus Crystal Dawn and everything, mm-hmm. and they wanted to, to discuss that case. So I did talk to this person on the phone, and it is a relative of Nyleen's. And this, uh, I have been able to verify that this is a relative. 
and they wanted to compliment the article, and they appreciated that I wasn't, um, like, hard on Kim Marshall, because so many people are, and, and I never thought he had anything to do with it, and they did express to me that they appreciated that. And so that was okay. that was interesting because I, I will say a lot of people post out there and they say they're relatives yeah. of Nyleen and they and maybe they are but some are like her birth father's family or people that just really don't know a whole lot about the situation just mm. you know hearsay so people might want to question all these posts of relatives that are posting and claim to know things. Because I have it on better authority that a lot of the stuff they're saying is not correct. Right. Okay. Uh, before this uh, this relative who contacted you said that, in all of your reading, research for Ni what you wrote about Nyleen's disappearance, did you ever get the impression that her stepfather was uh, a suspect at all? I mean, it just kind of seemed implied in some of the articles, but I, I never, there was never any basis for it. And like I said, the police never seemed to, to call him out or anything. And there was some, some posts on message boards where they just, they just said horrible things about Kim. And I don't really understand where any of that's coming from, honestly. And I was certainly not going to do that in my article because mm -hmm. I don't know of any basis they would have. Okay. Which I don't believe Kim has really been out there and interviewed. I, I did – there was a few quotes in an article about his wife's death, and you know, he has some really nice things to say about Nyleen that I included in my blog. But you can understand if he doesn't want to, you know, speak <laughs> why. Mm -hmm. But you uh, – we should say for the record, is, is uh, Kim Marshall – once again, that's her stepfather. Kim is a, uh, a man's name. Is he still alive? Yes, I believe so. Okay. And have you ever made any uh, have you ever made any attempt to try to contact him? No, I mean I, I tried at one I didn't really you know, I, I looked him up and stuff, but I just sometimes I just get the feeling they're not gonna want to talk to me just because of mm. what they've been through. And okay. I will say the relative that contacted me, they wanted you know, them kept anonymously, so I'm okay. definitely happy to do that. Okay, and I'm not going to ask you who it is. All right, so you did have a, a, a relative of some type contact you after you wrote about Nyleen's disappearance, and you've had a very positive uh, communication with this person? Yes, and I was able to, you know, verify some things that are kind mm -hmm. of muddied up. I was able to give some clarity to a few things. Okay. But still, there's really just no developments in the case, sadly. There's really nothing to report. Okay. Let's move on to this, and I just have in our outline for this interview, I just have it called discussion time. This is something we don't normally do uh, in regular interviews for the program because it's usually fa family members. Um, but I would like to get into you know some of the, the, the theory uh, and um, theorizing a little bit about a lot of these different topics that we've talked about um, simply from a standpoint of looking at missing persons cases, not just Nyleen's, but a lot of others combined uh, to do this with you since you are very experienced in, in writing about uh, disappearances. And so this is the only time that I do this. Um, you know, we've talked in this interview from the beginning about the lack of clarity 
in this disappearance. Um, still not sure. The articles from that time in 1983 and onward um, really don't give a lot of details um, as to how many people were there, what exactly is the story about is this preteen, was she responsible for uh, Nyleen or not? Uh, different articles saying different things. Um, using your experience, and being that I know that you've looked over a lot of different news articles for all of the disappearances that you've covered, you know, why does this t type of stuff happen? And uh, could it be in Nyleen's, could it be because children are the main witness, or do you not think that any that has anything to do with it? What's your insight? Well, in this case, it's definitely a factor that there's children because you just have to weigh how much you can believe them. But sometimes the articles are vague. They might talk to one person of the 20 that were there, and we get one person's impression of what happened. Or they just kind of don't do the work and don't sit there and interview people. But it's, it's amazing how sometimes these articles are, you know, the same date roughly, but have completely different facts in them. And then those facts just disappear over time. You don't see those mm -hmm. facts anymore. Why do you think that is? Using, uh, I, you're not one of these people. You do something else, but you write your blog. Uh, any insight re regarding? Uh, I don't think we'd maybe be surprised. Uh, just frankly, if it was a 25-year-old addict who went missing and the details aren't very specific because we know sometimes how the media and law enforcement treats those types of people. They don't take it seriously. But here's a four-year-old. You would think if any type of disappearance is going to be very exact and everything, this would be it. This isn't what happened. Any insight into that? Well, I'm not sure about that, but I mean, maybe, maybe there's a deadline. This is a you know breaking story. They want to hurry up and get that article out there, so mm -hmm. maybe they're not verifying things like we should. Mm -hmm. Maybe there have other newspapers that are releasing, and there's like a little bit of a competition there as far as you know, it's, it's breaking news. Mm -hmm. Do you think uh, maybe something else? And I, I did uh, look up Clancy, Montana, on the map, and and I think everybody knows Montana is not a very highly populated state. Uh, you know, its main cities like Helena or Missoula, Montana are not large compared to, you know, cities and other, you know, those are two of the largest cities in Montana, but they're not large compared to, you know, cities in other states. Could it be because it's a very rural uh, area? It's not, uh, you know, she did not disappear in downtown New York City. She disappeared you know, out in the country somewhere, you knew, could that be a factor as well? Yes, definitely, because it's it was such rugged terrain. It's almost like, and, and we don't know how long she was out there before they started looking for her. I mean, even if it was 20 minutes, that's, that's a long time. Mm -hmm. Right, and I, I'm just thinking once again, uh, you know, this is, this was before the Internet age. Um, and, and how is a small town newspaper somewhere supposed to cover this? Yeah. You know, it, it can get probably uh, a little difficult. They don't, of course, expect something like this to happen. That might be a a factor in the vagueness and the lack of clarity in, in many of these articles as well, even though I, I'm guessing some major news outlets in Montana ended up picking it up. But I don't think they probably sent any re reporters to Clancy, Montana to get on-the-ground uh, stories. So there's that. Okay.
Let's uh, move on to this regarding uh, child disappearances and maybe just disappearances in general. Uh, listeners know I've been talking a lot about searches and why they fail uh, to start 2021. It, it's become a, a common topic um, uh, that I've kind of embraced uh, so far this year. Uh, how does the failure of the searches affect your thinking regarding Nyleen's disappearance? And maybe just in general, when you hear about any type of person going missing and there's searches and nothing is found, what what is your usual knee-jerk rea- reaction in those types of situations, Heather? That there was foul play because you didn't find Nyleen in the mountains, so that opens the door to was she taken out of the mountains. Okay. And is that is that what you usually think? Like if you hear uh, uh, the listeners know that this year I've uh, covered the disappearance of Jason Landry from Luling, Texas, a guy that was driving home and uh, kind of got off on the wrong, wrong road, had a wreck, car was there, he's not been found yet, and that happened back in December. And there have been two very lengthy and large searches for him, and, and he's not been found and so when you hear a story about that, do you think about Nylene's? Do you throw them kind of all in the same category? Um, do you think, you know, searches could be better? What is your attitude on that? Well, in his case, I would I would wonder if maybe he hit his head, maybe he was disoriented and wandered mm-hmm. off. But with Nylene, of course, her age was a factor where you kind of think that she would be helpless pretty mm-hmm. much. And, in the situation she was in, regardless of whether there was another person involved. Do you think in a, in a search like that, uh, once again, I, I don't have any children, but um, do you think of a – would a four-year-old eventually come out of a hiding place if he or she thought people were looking, or would they continue to treat it as a game? Uh, what do you think? Yeah, they do say that, you know, sometimes these children are worried that they're going to be in trouble. And, you know, they say sometimes the children will hide. Mm -hmm. And then I also think about, like, there's a couple cases I've heard where they find someone that was missing in, like, a crevice. I mean, in the mountains, there's just so many places. And, of course, as we always hear, there are mine shafts. They were searching mine shafts for Nylene. And you and I talked about that. It seems yeah. like every case in out in the country, there's mine shafts in the home. Yeah, right. But You're, that's just an example of it could be she could be anywhere. Right. And, and what I told you, in fact, they've searched uh, mine shafts or oil wells or something like that for Laura Bible and Ashley Freeman. Um, you know, in Oklahoma, you yeah. know, disappearance since over they 20 years Dale old. They think Dale was put in a mine shaft. Right. And, and, but we also have to remember, as I mentioned to you when we talked about this in our last conversation, is that as much as these oil wells and mine shafts are always checked, I can't think of one disappearance ever where anybody was ever found in a mine shaft or an oil well or an abandoned coal mine or anything else. But still, they, you yeah. know, people still think that. Uh, that's common, but I can't think of one. I'm not saying it's never happened, but being that I can't well, think of and, one off the top of my head, they must be pretty rare. And when I talked to the state police, Max, with, in the Dale Kerstetter case, it was like, do, can we locate a place that had a picture of where all the mine shafts were? And he said, back in the day, all you had to do was put a tree in that mine shaft, and that was considered a closed enough. 
but it's hard to even track down to find out where the mine shafts were this many years later. Yeah, there's no yeah, no records or anything like that. Okay. Um, do you think that in the year 2021 that a search would even be worth it for that area? Well, I would always think it would be worth it. I, I guess maybe I would think if she was there, it could be a bone or maybe even a tiny piece of a shirt. I know it's been decades, but I can't say that a, a search would be wasted. I mean, there's mm-hmm. always hope. Okay. So maybe uh, that's something that is still then on uh, uh, a choice. Uh, I don't know if you know how many people you'd be able to get together, you know, in the year 2021, 2022, uh, to do something like that. Um, but of course, Nyleen's brother and sister—they're now in their 40s. Um, you know, maybe they might be able to arrange something like that if they were uh, motivated. Um, yeah. So. You know, maybe maybe it's time for another walk through those woods up in the Clancy, Montana area. Let's move on to this yeah. topic, and now we're we're going to look at it from the other standpoint. Where, while we talked about searches, if she did walk off all on her own, let's talk a little bit about uh, abductions. Um, you know, we uh, as I have in my notes, and, and you have the outline as well. I've, I I talk about um, target-rich environments. You know, that predators will go to if they want to abduct somebody. And I have the example of Morgan Harrington, who was abducted uh, from by a guy who was on that campus cruising around for, I know, for the express purpose of finding a woman alone and, you know, picking her up and attacking her and, and possibly killing her. That's how Morgan Harrington went missing, and that's how um, she got murdered. And we so we think about that, but on the other hand, we have the Delphi murders. You know, these two girls dropped off to hang out somewhere, and they end up murdered. How do you think about abductions, uh, you know, sp- maybe of children, but also, you know, men are rarely abducted, but uh, women, how do you think about that particular topic? Well, I guess it would depend on the situation. Like, the Delphi murders was completely shocking because, I mean, nobody would have known that they were going to be out there. Yeah. I just figured that was a crime of opportunity. Because one big, big man is going to be able to overpower two young girls. But through fear, if nothing else. Right. Right. I, I guess what I'm saying here is if we're to believe this was some type of abduction of Nyleen, um, the way you've portrayed this area does not sound to me like a target-rich environment you know, for a predator. Yeah. It doesn't. Yeah, and I, I can't see any of it being planned, no. Right. Right. No, no one knew the circumstances that were going to happen that day. Mm-hmm. Okay. And so it, it does then kind of you get a feel uh, like this could be like the Delphi murders, and I bring them up because it's more much more recent. A lot of people are familiar with them, uh, and it's yeah. also two young girls, although they were older than four. That sometimes children can be put in environments where it's just maybe bad luck. And and a four-year-old wouldn't know immediately that she was in danger. She probably wouldn't know for a while. Right. Because if they make everything seem fun. Yeah. And maybe that that moves us on. So that moves us on to this. Is your impression the way, once again, in, in covering uh, as many disappearances, 
watching Unsolved Mysteries, I know maybe reading a lot of the, the pages at Charlie Project, etc. Do you think that if she was abducted and she is still alive, maybe by this, you know, being raised by this letter writer or somebody else, what do you think the odds are that Nyleen would grow up to be a grown woman now in her early 40s and realize maybe that she could be Nyleen? What do you think the odds are of that happening? I don't think the odds are likely of that. Now, I do know that, that some of Nyleen's relatives are on Ancestry.com, so my hope would be that and, – and so many people are going on there and – getting a DNA test, I would hope that she would do that and not even, you know, realizing the sinister backstory, but wouldn't that be great? If yeah. there was a hit, I mean, they show you a list of your relatives. Right. Yeah, they do. And it did, and in the news just in the past week, Brad Bishop that killed his family, this woman wanted to know who her birth father was. Her birth father's Brad Bishop, she found out. Yeah, I saw that. Completely shocked. Yeah. I saw that. I, I did see that uh, maybe yesterday or today. I did see that. So, But you don't think just in general that it would occur to a grown woman that, you know, she starts asking, well, where's my mother? And, you know, and where are my grandparents? And, and you, you don't think at some point, you know, somebody might start to get well, suspicious that, you know, the, the story they were told about being raised maybe is not the truth. Yeah, that definitely is possible. I guess I think about when you're four. I mean, I don't have a lot of memories oh, right. of any of them. No, I, yeah, I me mean, neither. So it depends if she has any memories of, of her family. Right. Because like Sharon Marshall, that case, I mean, she was told her mother died. I don't know that she had any memories herself of her. Because I'm thinking maybe you saw this, uh, this uh, story too about uh, this uh, woman, uh, she was a teenager, 14, 15 years old. I think she had a bad home life like in Virginia or Maryland, and she just decided to take off, and everybody thought she was dead. She went to New York City. Uh, she was of, I don't know, German, Italian, Irish or descent. She turned herself – she made herself out to be Hispanic. She changed her name, pretended to be Hispanic or Italian, something like that, and she ended up living in New York City, having a family, and it wasn't until um, her kids started to ask about, hey, why don't we have any grandparents and all of this, that she decided it was time to get contact with her family like 20 years later, 25 years oh, wow. later. And so that's like maybe that's what I'm thinking about when I think about Nyleen's um, you yeah. know, she did grow up and, you know, she did have children and they start asking, you know, questions that, you know, maybe she might start getting a little more curious about, you know, that stuff that dad told yeah. me maybe doesn't quite make sense. Just, I'm just asking you, you yeah. know, how do you look at and that? It's definitely a possibility and because you've, you've seen that before where something was just off and they'll even go to like the Charlie Project. Some of them actually go on there and. You've heard where people recognize themselves, and yeah. But you know the D, the DNA test these days that's the that's the quickest way sure. to at least start to see if that's a possibility. It, it sure is. They it, could, it sure you know, is. They could do a DNA test with their own father without mm -hmm. him even knowing it, probably, and see if it's a match. 
because you just need like a hair sample. Okay. All right, so we've talked about uh, her walking off searches, et cetera. We've talked about abductions. It's one more topic that I think that we could talk about uh, that is certainly relevant uh, regarding Nyleen's disappearance, you know, looking at those phone calls and letters, if we're not to take them seriously. And that is Kooks. That's my word for it. That is not Heather's word for them, but my word uh, name is Kooks. Uh, your insight. Uh, do you think that the, these types of people are more common in child disappearances, in contrast to adult disappearance, disappearances, um, are are, they, are these people truly mental cases, or are they simply like online trolls? How do you look at that entire you know phenomenon within missing persons community? I do think they're kooks, and I think they probably come out more often with children cases and. They probably want attention. Maybe they're pedophiles. Maybe they have fantasies about killing children. And this way they can put themselves in the middle of the story, you know. But even a lot of the trolls ended up having some kind of mental deficit, if you think about it. Mm -hmm. People that like to stir up problems and, mm -hmm. you know, hurt people for no reason. Sadly, I do think most of them are kooks. I mean, mm -hmm. even with these letters, I mean, it doesn't happen abducting a child doesn't happen that way. You don't have this wonderful, happy life. And, you know, I mean, what a ridiculous account he put on there of how happy and wonderful their life was. Even if he has her, you yeah. know it's not like that. Right. Right. It, it, yeah. It, the, the letters uh, do stretch, I think, my imagination as being, you know, factual. Um, yeah. It's just a little too quaint. Little too, yeah. uh, isn't this just in? Everybody lived happily ever after, certainly, and that maybe even makes the per person more kooky than your than your average kook. Um, but you do yeah. think that they are more common in in, in child disappearances. Um, you know, any insight into why that might be? Well, the only thing I can think of is is if they're pedophiles and you know mm -hmm. they have obsession with children and have fantasized horrible things. And then maybe they want to, this is part of their fantasy, you know. They want to get credit for it. Yeah. Um, there was a disappearance that we covered, I think it was back in 2018 now. It was the disappearance of Bonnie and Jeremy Degas. Bonnie um, was the mother of Jeremy. Jeremy was just four months old. She was very young. I forget her exact age, but maybe early 20s. But, and this just coincidentally happened in the Tampa area where I live, and uh, her mother uh, has and family has had to had to live for a while with this guy who was a kook, who would keep contacting them, claiming that he was Jeremy Degas. You know, over and over and over, even though there was no chance that this guy uh, was that. Um, and finally, they did something about it. I think finally, uh, he had done enough over the internet with th you know just saying all sorts of crazy things. They were able to finally arrest him uh, for doing this, even though he lived, I think, in Ohio. And this, you wow. know, and this, uh, this uh, disappearance happened almost 30 years ago here in Florida. So, uh, you know, it's something that, that comes to mind, somebody claiming to be, you know, a missing person and isn't and just will not let a family go, just will not let it let up. Yeah. Okay. 
All right. Um, so thank you uh, once again. I don't get to do that too often uh, for an official episode of Unfound. Go through some of this theory and get somebody else's who does what I do, uh, their opinions on some of these topics. So it's good to uh, be able to do that with you, Heather. Thank you. Um, I would never ask you to um, give away what you're go going to be publishing next, but are you working on some things right now? When do you think uh, your next blog will be out? I can I can tell you the subject, I think. All right. Well, go ahead. It's, it's your website. So you do what you want. It's about Nicholas Barclay, and I don't know if you've heard of that story. Hmm. But Not it's got to be one of the most bizarre missing children's cases you're ever going to hear about. Okay. There's actually a documentary made about it. So it's definitely something that I want to – talk about and have other people, you know, because I think it's kind of under the radar, even though there's a documentary, it's just, when I heard about it, you know, it's hard to believe. And it actually kind of goes to something you were recently talking about, but I won't, I won't divulge that. Okay. Something I was recently talking about where? Yeah, just just a minute ago, something you said maybe. I thought, oh, yeah, okay. Oh, okay. All right. Well, uh, do you have any idea when, that, when that'll be coming out? Uh, would you make a prediction on that? Uh, no, possibly by the end of the month. I've just now started, you know, taking mm. notes and doing your research. Okay, great. So hopefully within the next 20 days, once again, we're doing this interview on March 9th, 2021. Yeah. Uh, once again, uh, your website is Lost and Found Blogs, L-O-S-T-N-F-O-U-N-D-B-L-O-G-S.com. And, and for the listeners, uh, I think, you know, I think, you, of course, they should read – uh, everything that you've written on your blog, Heather, but the, the 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 these last two you've written regarding Judy Smith and David Glenn Lewis uh, are certainly very uh, well timed, uh, considering what I've been talking about so far in in 2021 about searches and people taking off and people walking away from their lives because we've covered. Uh, a few disappearances so far in 2021, Noah Davis, um, you know, T.J. Murray. Uh, we just ran into a, a bunch that were very similar, even though they happened at all different times. And I've started going more toward the idea that these people just walked off. And so then you have these two, David Glenn Lewis and Judy Smith. They walked off too, but they were actually found. And that's the yeah, they were found, but there's still just as many questions as there, as there ever was. Right, that's right. It, it, in finding them, it it seems like the mystery uh, only got deeper. And they were found deceased, there's but I don't. Yeah. You know, I don't want to give any of it away. I want uh, people to go and read everything, and specifically those two. And maybe some people will start understanding why more and more. Maybe I, I start leaning more toward. I think this person walked off. I don't know what happened to that person, yeah. but. I think that person walked off, and these two, uh, David Glenn Lewis and Judy Smith, are perfect examples of that. And, and just, there's a mental illness factor, I believe, in a lot of these cases that people don't want to address, and they don't want to believe, whether it's guilt, if it's a family member and they didn't see it, of course, it's no one's fault. But I think mm. people are just wanting to deny that maybe something was off in their head, mm. you know, by no fault of their own, of course. Okay. All right. Um, 
Any final words uh, before we complete this interview? Let's maybe uh, put this out there. If one of the listeners wanted to get in touch with you, make a, maybe make a recommendation to you about uh, either a, a murder, a disappearance, or a person being found, a, a story like that, how would that person contact you? I do have I have Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, but I also have an email address, and it's just lostandfoundblogs at yahoo dot com. All right, and, and I actually get I actually get tips on the cases. People tell me who killed who. Some very interesting emails. I bet. Yeah, I get them too. Yeah, I bet. <laughs> yeah. Uh huh. I kind of like brace myself every time I oh I got another email. Let's see what this one's about. Yep, I, I'm the same way. I wouldn't say it happens yeah. every day, but it happens. I I I got you on that for sure. Uh, why don't you just yeah. say uh, spell that out for the listeners again? Your website. What is it, please? It's l o s t n f o u n d b l o g s dot com dot uh, com. Yes, and it's the uniform on all of the social media pages as well. And lost and found blogs at Yahoo is my email address. Okay, great. And you you have a Facebook page and on Instagram, etc. Yes. Okay, great. Uh, Heather, any final words before we uh, complete this interview? Now I'm just very happy that you asked me. I always enjoy being on your program. And I enjoy having you. That was it's been it's been a great discussion. I hope the listeners enjoyed it as well. And I appreciate you once again uh, for joining me on an episode of Unfound. Okay, thank you. You're welcome. And that was my interview with Heather Grotman, creator and writer at thelostandfoundblogs.com. I thank Heather for joining me and all of you for the third time. She previously appeared to talk about the disappearances of Dale Kerstetter and Christy Nichols. If you haven't listened to those episodes yet, please do so. As we talked about in the interview, one of the tough parts to understand about this disappearance is the actual circumstances are vague, and this seems to have been compounded by the lack of precise reporting at the time. For example, did the other children just allow Nyleen to walk off with the guy in the jogging suit, if he even exists, or was Nyleen with a 12-year-old and the girl left Nyleen alone for just a few minutes? Or was it some combo of both? Or neither? And really, why did a bunch of adults not remember a guy in a purple jogging suit? This is in contrast to the abduction and murder of Jacob Wetterling. From the moment he disappeared, the details were very specific and turned out to be very accurate. And the kidnapping was also observed by a child. Yes, the perpetrator wasn't caught until almost 30 years later. And yes, many other men were suspects during that time. But the whens and hows were never in dispute. Jacob was with a friend. A guy pulled up and took Jacob into his car. So, why the difference with Nyleen's? Certainly, it could have something to do with the ages of the children who were witnesses. Were they much younger than Jacob's friend when he went missing? The younger the kids get, 
the less accurate their recollections might be. Also, and this is one of those paradoxes, sometimes it actually is better to have just a few witnesses than many. It's that whole Rashomon thing, if you've ever seen that movie. It's a well-known scientific fact that humans perceive the same incident differently, depending on your point of view, when they first saw what was happening, and how it affected them emotionally. This could have been happening at the time of Nileen's disappearance. Through all of that, though, we can't deny a couple of facts. First, 2,800 people with dogs and helicopters and infrared searched for a four-year-old girl who wasn't wearing any shoes. And they found nothing. It sounds impossible, but Jason Landry is also still missing from an area that is easier to search. And the second fact is, and this goes back to Heather and my discussion about where predators stalk prey, a ham radio enthusiast get-together doesn't sound like a likely place where a child could be kidnapped. Really, what predator would even suspect that children would be there? So why would a predator show up? Unless he was there all the time. Or the guy in the jogging suit had heard about the get-together and knew children would be there and decided to take a chance. This would then make the predator someone from the immediate area who kept tabs on happenings at that place where the get-together was held. That couldn't be a huge number of people. Could it? Maybe it's time again for police to examine their sex offender list from the area. See if any of them ended up moving to Wisconsin, for example. Maybe then we would know if what came from the mouths of babes was true. I'll leave the theorizing up to you. And that's the program. If you found it informative, please go to the app that you use to listen to Unfound and give this podcast a nice review. I thank you for listening. I'm Ed Densel, and you've been listening to Unfound.